Thank you so much, Casey. Um, we're going to get right into this um, message today. We're in this series called uh, Eli. We're almost done. We have technically one, one more week of this series. We're looking at the life of Elijah and Elisha um, in the books of First and Second Kings in the Old Testament. And if you'd like to catch up on that series, um, all the messages are on our app. That's FC Online, and they're on YouTube, they're on Facebook. And I encourage you, if, if you've missed some, uh, to listen. There's been a lot of good things that we've been uh, going over and studying and things God's revealing to us as we're looking at his word that are pertinent for the times that we're in. Uh, but basically, this series is about these prophets of God, Elijah and his protege, Elisha, men who worked in great power uh, that God was using to confront kings and queens and authorities that were going against God's will. Um, in particular, Elijah and Elisha were called into spiritual warfare against the false god Baal. And so the story is all in context of that. Elijah, um, one of only two men mentioned in Scripture that did not die uh, a natural death, but instead God took him into heaven. And after he was taken, Elisha took on the position, the mantle, the authority, and really the job uh, that Elijah, his mentor, had. And so we've been looking at the life of Elisha himself and talked about a lot of things. But uh, a couple weeks ago, we looked at Elisha healing this Syrian uh, general by the name of Naaman. Uh, then last week, we talked about Elisha recovering this servant of his lost or sunken axe head. And the idea last week was, what's something that you've lost? What's been lost in your life and how can you recover it? Uh, by acknowledging it and, and by um, repenting of the fact that it's lost and doing the things that you used to do. And I, I heard a lot of good things from you this week of things that you have lost that God has called you uh, to reclaim in your life. And so today, we're going to continue in the journey of Elisha. And this story takes place immediately following his recovery of this axe head from the Jordan River. And we're going to be today in 2 Kings 6 um, is where we're going to go. And we're going to read now verse 9 through 11 in 2 Kings chapter 6. If you're watching online, first of all, welcome. I see people joining from all over the country uh, we're glad you're with us. You can read along with the passages on the screen in front of you. And if you're in-house, you can read on these screens beside me. Um, we do have an app that has all the verses we're going over today. That's FC Online. Uh, but for now, if you could just put your phone away, though, and uh, focus in for these next 30 minutes or so and um, eliminate any distraction uh, moving around, let's see what God's Word has in store. So 2 Kings 6, 9 through 11, it says, we'll actually start at verse 8, 2 Kings 8. It says, once... When the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, At such and such a place shall be my camp. Now, just a couple of weeks ago, we were looking at um, a Syrian general by the name of Naaman has some good relations with Elisha. And since then, we don't know all that's transpired, but now it looks like the relations between the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Syria are no longer as good as they were in chapter 5 with the healing in the story of Naaman. And so the king of Syria is making plans to go in and essentially raid the kingdom of Israel. So verse number 9 of 2 Kings 6 says, But the man of God 
That's Elisha, the man of God, sent word to the king of Israel. Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus, he used to warn him so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. Um, side note, First and Second Kings, um, in the English translation of the Bible we're reading from, the English Standard Version, this is a- as good as it gets a word-for-word word translation. And so sometimes when you read these sentence structures, it's like, this is confusing. Um, and it's not King James, but it's how the structure is. It's confusing. So basically, king of Syria making plans to raid the northern kingdom of Israel. God gives Elisha insight as to where this is going to happen. Elisha has inside information from God, and it's passed along to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel is basically dodging the attacks from Syria. And this is happening often is what the passage is saying. So verse 11 says, And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And again, translating. The king of Israel has inside information, and the Syrian king thinks he has a mole in his ranks. He he thinks that there is a spy. Like, who is passing along this information? Who's giving our intel to the king of Israel? We need to discover who the spy is, that way we can get rid of him so that we can actually have a successful attack on the kingdom of Israel. Verse 12. It says, One of the servants of the king of Syria said, We don't have any spies. We don't have a mole. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel, the words that you speak in your bedroom. I love that verse. How many of you are worried about what your phone hears you say? Um, And I've had a lot of people say, um, in my house we have these uh, Apple HomePods. And some people are like, I would never have an Apple HomePod in my house because it would be listening to everything I said. And I'm like, like your phone? And how many of you have discovered this? Like, you talk about something that you've never talked about in your life. You've never looked up something about that topic uh, on the Internet before. And like three minutes later, you have an ad on social media for that thing you just talked about. That ever happened to you? Uh, Casey uh, and I have had this conversation a lot, just like crazy stuff that we would never search online. It's like, wow, you know, I, I wasn't looking for um, pink hair extensions for my cat. Um, But we talked about it yesterday, and here's the ad. Um, Some friends of mine I I met with this last week, and they they were sharing with me um, really the the depth of their sin by letting me know they were going to a country music festival today. (laughs) And they were telling me about the country music festival and how great it was. I'm like, guys, you're really wretched people. And the next day, I had an ad for the very concert that they were going to in Bend, Apparently, there is a country band by the name of Old Dominion. And I was like, I have never and will never listen to Old Dominion in my life. I don't care who's old, what they have dominion over. I want nothing to do with it. 
And so um, I sent them a screenshot of the ad that I got with a tear and a smiley face. And, and, and he said, are you joining us? And I said, I'd rather die. Um, so your phone does listen to you. Whether you want, you don't listen to Facebook or Google or Twitter or YouTube or anybody, when they say they're not listening, they are listening. And so if you're worried about your phone listening to what you have to say, you need to remember that God hears every word. God hears every word. There, there is no, there's no secrets between you and God. Now, I don't say that to say, like, so live in fear. Or how many of you, you tell your kids, like, Santa sees you when you're sleeping. He knows if you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. And you're just terrified of Santa Claus. Like, I want nothing to do with Santa if that's what he can do. And so we, we, we almost train ourselves in fear. And so it's not this idea that God is always listening and so you might be like, Jesus is looking at the computer with you. Jesus is looking at this with you. Like, okay, that's a little strange. And so it's not that I'm fearful of Jesus. I have a healthy respect and awe and reverence towards him. But because of those things, we should want to please him, not live in fear of him. And this verse is, is amazing because what we learn here is that God gives insight to his prophets. And God uses this insight for the good of people. Um, let's jump to Amos, the, the, the short prophetic book of Amos, chapter 3, verse 7. It says, for the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. Numbers 12, um, this is being written by, by Moses as God is prompting as, as they're leaving Egypt. It says, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. And somehow we've gotten to a place within society and within the church that we think that prophets like that are weird. And in the New Testament, when it lists the 20 spiritual gifts that the Spirit gives to believers, Paul goes to great lengths to actually say, if you desire any spiritual gifts... Let it be prophecy, because prophecy is this amazing way that you can speak the truth of the word of God, and it reaches people's hearts so that people are in awe and want to serve and worship the God who gives the prophetic word. And so God does move and act in the prophetic. He gives words of knowledge, things that people would not know unless God revealed them. He gives words of wisdom, wisdom that people would not know unless God gives the wisdom. And so I believe that we need to start praying for some prophets. Think about this for a second. Um, without making any sort of political statement, like what's going on in Afghanistan is a travesty. It is wretched, disgusting, evil, and sick. We need to pray for prophets. We need to pray that God would begin to speak through his people and give messages and words to presidents and prime ministers and warlords and generals. Like, what if we really started praying, like, God, give insight for the sake of your people, and we need to start praying that people would start paying attention to the Spirit and actually speaking forth the truth that he's asking them to speak, and we need to pray for prophets to be put within the proximity of our leaders and that those leaders would heed the warnings of God. 
You say, well, we, we had that with Bush or Obama or Trump or Clinton or that doesn't matter. We need to pray that God would speak to every leader. We're called to pray for our leaders. And we need prophets right now in America. We need prophets right now in Afghanistan. We need prophets throughout the world. And they're, they're there. But we're not listening. And so sometimes, just for entertainment's sake, I will look up at prophets you know, on, on YouTube or whatever, and sometimes I'm, I'm so critical when I listen, but I, I ought not be. But I do need to think critically. I need to test the Spirit to see if it's from the Lord. But, but my prayer is that, God, would you send some prophets again? Because here, God is giving Elisha inside information. And he is taking the inside information to the king. And the king, in this case, King Jeroboam, is actually listening to the words of the prophet. And he's following the words of the prophet. And he's actually warning Israel. And God is preventing them from seeing the ultimate judgment they'd face. And so let's go to verse 13. And so the king of Syria says, Go and see where Elisha is, that I may send and seize him. It was, whole, it was told to the king, Behold, Elisha is in Dothan. So the king of Syria sent there horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night, and they surrounded the city. So the Syrian army is surrounding the city of Dothan where Elisha has taken refuge. Now, pay close attention because this exact scenario is essentially going on in several cities across our planet today where, where people are under siege, people are held hostage, cities are being attacked, people are being murdered. Verse 15 says, when the servant of Elisha, the, the man of God, when the servant of Elisha rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. Now, notice the words that are used. It says in verse number 14 that the Syrian army surrounded the city. And notice the word here that is used in verse 15 Elisha's servant goes outside and he sees that they are all around. They're around the city. They're surrounding the city. They're in trouble. It's a very intentional play on words here. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Side note. I think it is extremely likely that this servant is the exact same servant who lost his axe head. Because when he lost the axe head, what did he say? Alas, my master. This is not a phrase that appears elsewhere in Scripture. I think it's very likely it's the same guy. So alas, my master. At first, he, last week he said, alas, my master, my axe head is borrowed. And here he says, alas, my master, what shall we do? Our city is surrounded. Verse 16. Elisha says, do not be afraid. Most common phrase in the Bible. Don't fear. Don't be afraid. Don't fear. Don't be afraid. Don't fear. Don't be afraid. 365 times in the Bible is that command uttered. Do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. 
Think about that. The, the, the servant, he's thinking, nope, it's just us. It's just us prophets. All I've got is my axe. It's just us. But Elisha is not talking about the prophets. Elisha is not talking about the army of Israel. Elisha is speaking about heavenly hosts. Heavenly hosts, angels, if you will. Elisha understood 800 years before this verse in Romans was written, Romans 8.31, written by the Apostle Paul, if God is for us, then who can be against us? Those words were never written by that point, but Elisha knew it because the same spirit that rose Christ from the grave was working in and through Elisha to bring about this prophetic word. And he's saying, God's forces are far greater than the forces of any enemy. You see, Elisha understood what the prophet Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 54 in a similar time in history, that no weapon that is formed against them would prosper. No weapon could stop this movement. Now, there's tension here because you say, well, pastor, Christians are being killed by weapons. Christians are being murdered by weapons. Christians are being martyred and slaughtered. And I would say, yes, tragically, that is true. But those weapons do not prosper over their soul. Those weapons do not prosper over their salvation. And if God allows such things to happen, we know that the paradise that awaits those who are slaughtered or whose lives are taken is far greater than any experience they have ever known in this world. And so do I believe that God protects us from illness? Do I believe that God protects us from violence? He does and he can. But sometimes we face those things and we do die, but yet as a believer... We never really die. We keep on living. And so this life matters. This body matters. This world matters. But we're living for a different kind of world, a different kind of kingdom than a kingdom of evil and armies and warfare. So despite being surrounded by an army of his enemies, Elisha had no need to fear because he knew that God was with him. I was following some different posts on Twitter that were coming out of Afghanistan of some Christian leaders who understood that the Taliban were actually looking for them because they were pastors of churches there and they were praying for deliverance, but they also at the same time were experiencing joy and thanking God. Say, how could you do that? And I would say, that's the kind of God we serve. That's how. Because we've got to see beyond just this here. So Elisha trusted that if God still had work for him to complete, that God would bring that work to completion in proper time. And that God would spare Elisha. He would spare his prophets. And for the time being, he would spare Israel. Spare them from imminent destruction. And and that, over this last year, has kind of become one of my leading philosophies in my own life, is that If God still has work for me to do, then God still has life for me to live. Do you understand that? If God still has work for you to do, then God still has life for you to live. Does that mean you should be foolish? Does that mean you should live carelessly, unhealthily, not be cautious? No, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean we need to walk in pride or arrogance and tempt fate. 
but it does mean that the God who started a work in us will bring it to completion. And so we don't need to fear death because God will allow us to live this life as long as God needs us to. Do you believe that? Think about it for a sec. Like, if I die, then I'm in God's will. If I live, I'm in God's will. Paul said, for me to die, um, it's gain. I, I gain so much, but he says to live, it's Christ. It's so good to fulfill all that Jesus is doing. And I had a talk with a great brother in Christ this week, and we were just like, yes, we'd love for Jesus to return soon and end all of this madness, but yet this life is good as well. There's things here that we won't experience in what is in front of us. So there's time still to reach those who don't know Christ. So verse 17 says, Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. Please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all, what's that next word? All around Elisha. The enemy surrounded Dothan. The servant woke up and said, alas, they're all around us. And Elisha said, God, open his eyes that he might see. And they were surrounded by the armies of God. And there's this, this worship song you may have heard recently, and I, I think the title is Fight My Battles, but the chorus said, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. And it, it does seem as though we are surrounded by so many things, but yet both and and still we're still surrounded by the forces of God. And so though it looked like they were surrounded by the Syrian army, they were actually surrounded by the army of God. When the situation seemed dire, the Lord showed them that he was near. Those who were with Elisha were truly far more and far more powerful than those who were with the Syrians. God was already there. You notice Elisha did not say, God, please come. He didn't say, God, send your armies. He didn't say, God, come to our rescue. Because he already was. He just said, God, let us see it. God was already with them, and God was already ready to fight for them. Elisha's servant just couldn't see it yet. The battle was not theirs to fight. The battle actually belonged to the Lord. And so I know we want to get vindication on our enemies. I know we want to get even. I know there are people that you would love to see fail, but it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. Vengeance is his. He will repay. See, though you don't always see him, though you don't always perceive him, though you don't always feel him, he's working. Isn't that what we just sang? Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. He's working all things according to his will. Ephesians 1. God is working all things according to his will. God is working for the good of those who love him. 
and those who are called according to his purposes. And so when Elisha prayed, his servant's eyes were opened, and he was able to see what was already there. But it was hidden to him in the natural. You see, there is a supernatural world all around us. There is a spiritual war taking place. And isn't it interesting that we are reading a story that happened 2,750 years ago about Syrian warfare, and that's happening as we speak. Isn't it interesting that these same cultures and peoples and ways of life are still in battle? You see, this is what we're experiencing in the world you say, well, pastor, is it spiritual or is it natural? Yes. Yes. Because everything is spiritual. And because God has created matter, matter matters. So it's physical too. It's both. It's both spiritual and it's natural. And the natural often reflects the spiritual. And the spiritual often reflects the natural. It is both and. There is a spiritual war taking place between the forces of God and the forces of evil. And right now in the heavens, right now, heavenly hosts, supernatural beings, read Revelation, it's strange. Christians who have experienced death are worshiping around the throne of God right now. Right now. And so we often think of heaven as this future tense thing. But Jesus told the thief on the cross who put his faith in Christ before he died and suffocated on the cross. Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. So that means today there are people with Jesus in paradise. The thief on the cross, the apostle Paul, Elijah, Elisha, maybe this poor little axe servant guy. I think Naaman. I really think Naaman. There are people right now. Heaven is not future. That's why Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is not just near, it's it's here. And so when we walk into the presence of God, when we're forgiven of our sins and restored to relationship with God through Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is here. It's here. It's not there. It's here. It's here now. There is rejoicing taking place in heaven right now as sinners are saved. Right now. There is a great crowd of witnesses right now cheering us on. That's what Hebrews says. Hebrews says that there's these great people of faith. Well, who's a great person of faith? Anybody who puts their faith in Christ. There is a great crowd of witnesses cheering us on. You say, Pastor, do my loved ones who belong to Christ, can they see me from paradise? I don't know how that works. I don't know. But I do know the Bible says that somehow they're cheering us on. Right now, God's purposes are being filled and fulfilled through creation. Through his creation, his purposes are being fulfilled by forces seen and unseen. And the forces that are seen and the forces that are unseen, some of them know they're being used by God to fulfill his purpose, and some of them don't. 
And you say, well, pastor, what's happening in America? What's happening in Afghanistan? What's happening in China? What's happening in North Korea? What's happening in Taiwan? What's happening in Haiti? Is that fulfilling the will and purpose of God? Yeah. How? I don't know. But I trust it is. Because it says he's working all things for his purpose. And that somehow, somehow that's good. And we have to trust that the will of God is good. And I think that's probably one of the core problems with Christianity today is that we say we trust God, but we don't always trust God that God is doing good things. Somehow it's for our good. Somehow the tragedy we've gone through, it's still being used for good. And it's so hard to see. Right now, according to Scripture, rulers on earth are being placed into power and being removed from power by God. Did you know that? The Bible says that those who are placed in authority are placed there by God. And no matter what your view is on politics or election integrity or anything, for whatever reason, God does what he does. The issue there is that sometimes God puts people in power to judge a nation, and sometimes God puts people in power to bless a nation. And you say, Pastor, where are we at? I say, God, please bless us. I don't know. But it's not anything about those who are in power. But right now, regardless of who is in power, things are not good in this country. And we need God's help. And so the Holy Spirit right now, the Holy Spirit right now, the Holy Spirit right now is moving, is acting, is working, is filling, is overflowing, is convicting, is giving gifts, is speaking, is healing, and is bringing life. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So when we start worshiping, when does worship start? It starts at 10. When do we sing this song and not do this? When do we sit down? When do we stand? When do we listen to a message? When do I turn on worship music? So when we start worshiping, when we start serving, well, when do I have to be at this nonprofit to serve? When is my schedule to serve my family? When do I serve in the church? When do I serve when we start serving? When we start declaring God's word, well, preaching usually starts at 1030. And so then we start declaring God's word. And I listen to this podcast on my lunch on Fridays at noon, and that's when we start declaring God's word. So when we start declaring God's word and when we start doing God's work, we are not really starting at all. Here's what we're doing. We are joining in. We are joining into something that has always been happening. Worship does not cease. It never stops. Never stops. Serving God never ceases. Declaring God's word never stops. His word is living. It's active. Doing God's work never stops because in some way right now, the planet Neptune is doing God's work. In some way right now, the black hole on the other side of the Milky Way is doing God's work. Everything in creation is doing God's work. So we're not joining into anything. We're not ingenious in starting new things. We're just joining in the things that God is about. We're joining with heaven, if you think about it. It's happening 
and it's going on all around us, whether we choose to involve ourselves or not. And we may not see it, but we must choose whether or not we will take part. Worship is always happening. Right now, somewhere on planet Earth, someone is worshiping in their shower. How many of you, that's you? And the acoustics are real good in there. We have a new shower that has like a mirror right in front. I'm like, don't look up when singing. It's real weird. But right now it's happening all around. Right now someone's worshiping in their car. Right now someone's worshiping in South America. Right now someone's worshiping in Australia. Right now someone's worshiping in Tasmania, in New Zealand. Right now there are people worshiping. And so it's not like I'm going to start worshiping. We have to have this attitude of today I'm joining in. I'm joining in the course. And I don't see it going on around me, but even though I don't see it, I know it's actually happening. So let's wrap this up. You don't need to ask God to come. You don't need to ask God to show up. You don't need to ask God to fill this place because he's already here. And not only is he here, but he is here with 12 plus legions of angels at his command. Jesus said in Matthew 26, if I wanted to come off this cross, I could call 12,000 angels right now and they could take care of this whole mess. And that's exactly what Elisha and his servants saw. They saw the legions of angels. We just have to acknowledge him. We just have to acknowledge his presence. That's it. We don't have to ask for it to come. We need to acknowledge that it's here. And when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and when we are surrounded by enemies, we don't need to fear because he's already here. He's already with us. He's actually surrounding us. And when the battle is too big, When the odds are stacked against us, I believe we have a God who's for us. If he was for us, then why would he let me? I don't know. I don't know. I've I've had some times in my life where I was so ticked at God. But then after I got over myself, he showed me that he was there the whole time. We have a God who's for us who we can trust to fight our battles. As we join in through prayer, as we join in through praise, as we join in through ministry, as we join in through suffering, as we join in through whatever work or fight he calls us to. So it does look like we're surrounded. It just does. Right now, it looks like we're surrounded on every side. But we're surrounded by him. He's everywhere. He's with us. And as Christians, we have the unique ability to understand that he is in us. So in a weird way, when you go places, you're bringing God's presence with you, even though it's there already. We're bringing God's kingdom with us wherever we go. We are, in, in weird senses of the word, heaven on earth. 
And so right now the kingdom is here and we're called to live as Christ and, and to give for others' behalf and to reach those who do not yet know him. And actually when we're spreading the gospel, instead of just saying, God, let them say the sinner's prayer. God, let them repent of their sins. God, let them put faith in you, Jesus. Instead, why don't we pray, God, would you open their eyes? Would you open their eyes? Because only God can make blind people see. So God, open our eyes so we can see. Open their eyes so they can see you, Jesus. Open their hearts so that they can receive you. I was blind. But God opened my eyes. And my vision's still really bad. Real bad. But I, I see enough to have hope. I see enough to have faith and to trust. Here's what we're going to invite you to do. Um, today is August 22nd. And we have, um, and I'm sorry to say this, but two more weeks until school starts. I'm sorry, guys. And as parents, some of you are stoked about this. Don't get too stoked. This is a complicated year. But we got two weeks. And, and, and our culture resets when school starts again. And we talk about this a lot. It's like we, we say that December is the end of the year and January is the beginning. It's really not in our culture. It's, it's just not. School starts in September. Everything resets itself, right? You do it, it some way at work. You do it. Uh, that's when you know, football starts. That when, that's when pumpkin spice lattes start to emerge from the ether. And it's, everything resets in September. And so because of that, like as a church, we just know like September is kind of when church starts again. And so September the 12th, 19th, and 26th is when we're going to have what we call Vision Weekends. And I've asked Casey if on the 12th and on the 26th, if we would just have all-out worship services on Sunday, um, we will proclaim God's word, but we'll be extremely heavy on music, joining in with worship already going around. And on the 19th, we'll, we're going to share with you and challenge you to, to step forward in some vision items and some action items with us as a church. And I know over those couple of weeks, we have people from our church in Oklahoma will be here. We have people coming who are part of our church from Arizona are coming here. They want to celebrate and move forward with us in what we're doing. So it's going to be a real great couple of weeks. But I want us to do something to prepare for that. And I, I want to introduce you. We're going to do something these next three weeks. We're calling it uh, Invite. I think we have a slide for it. We'll call it Invite. And... I've already said, you know, we don't need to invite God because he's already here. But we do need to invite him in. Though he is surrounding us, we need to invite him in to our heart, our home, our school, our cubicle, our desk, our church, right? We need to invite him in. And as we approach this 2021, 2022 year, I want us to be very aware that God is here. So I want, I want us as a church collectively to invite him in. This is a spoiler alert. In September, we're going to start a series that's going to take us off and on throughout the whole year on the book of Exodus. And in the book of Exodus, it's all about freedom. It's all about finding freedom from slavery. 
But God instructs Moses to build a tabernacle of worship. And there's all these crazy instructions of what to do and how to build it and what kind of materials to use. But it says that when Moses built and the people of Israel finished building the tabernacle, do you know what it says happened when they were done? It says the presence of God filled the tabernacle. And the glory of God was so thick that people couldn't stand in his presence. So I'd like to invite you to build a tabernacle for God over the next three weeks. A fort in my living room? No. Please, no. Build a fort here. Build a tabernacle here. At your dinner table, in your heart, with your wife, your husband, your children, your grandkids. Let's build a tabernacle. And let's invite the presence of God over these next three weeks. And so a couple things that um, I want to ask you to do. I want you to commit these next three weeks to prayer. Praying for God to move this year and for us to see it. Praying for God to fill this tabernacle. To fill your family's tabernacle. To fill this tabernacle. Invite his presence in for the next three weeks. Then we're going to ask you to fast. Find things to fast from over these next three weeks. Say, Pastor, what? What, the first thing that comes to mind that you don't want to fast from, it's probably that. So why do we fast? It, it just causes us to push into and rely on God. So you might fast Netflix. You might fast um, carbs. You might fast meat. You might fast alcohol. You might fast um, bubble breaker and Tetris. You might, I don't know what you're going to fast. But there's things that maybe you're called to fast, or maybe for one week you want to fast this, or the next week fast this, or maybe you want to go up, you know, one or two days without eating food and just liquid. I don't know. We're not asking you to fast something in particular, but we would like to invite you to fast with us as a church. Would you please do that? Next three weeks, fast, pray, and we're going to ask you to do something just nuts. Memorize a one-sentence verse. And so for the next three weeks, um, if you do have our app, and if you don't, please do get it. It's, it's called FC Online. And if you go to the app, you open it up, the first thing on the app is the thing that says invite. It's this image right here. And if you click on invite, it says week one. And there's Psalms 119, 2 through 3. You open that up. And I want to encourage you every day, read this passage to yourself with your family and memorize this verse. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. That's easy to memorize. And over the next couple weeks, I know it's cheesy, but we're going to do it anyways because somehow cheese builds camaraderie and it builds buy-in. Um, we're going to ask you the next couple weeks, like, hey, does anybody want to come up and, and quote this, this Bible verse that you memorized? We're going to do like Sunday school style. <laughs> if you know this verse, come up, share it. We'll ask you to do that next couple weeks. Um, next couple weeks, we're gonna have, I know Tim Warnock, um, our youth pastor, he's going to be speaking next week. He'll call some people up to, to quote the verse. And so we want to take this seriously. Let's commit these next couple of weeks to memorizing Scripture. And then finally, um, later on today, there will be a link in here for a worship set list on, on Spotify. So if you're going to get Spotify, you can get Spotify, uh, a free version with ads. But Casey is... Um, building a playlist 
of songs we're going to be singing during this season and some songs that are just all about inviting the presence of God into our hearts. And so together we'll be praying, fasting, meditating on and memorizing scripture, listening to these same worship songs. And then last thing is the next three weeks on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, um, some of our leaders will be doing devotions at 6.30 p.m. on our members and attenders Facebook group. So you can ask to join that if you'd like. We're not going to do it on our public pages, but we'll be doing um, devotions. And we'd like a lot of interaction, prayer, testimony. I know you guys ask us to do that a lot. It takes a lot of effort and time, but we're going to do it these next three weeks. Um, next two weeks, we've got different staff members are going to be leading that. On the third week, I'll be leading that. And so join in, 6.30 every night, members and attenders Facebook group. If you can't, join in at 6.30. You can watch it later and still comment, and we can communicate with you that way. It's a way to build community. Um, and I know all the next three weeks on Instagram and on Facebook, we'll be pushing uh, a lot of information about this, inviting you to take part in invite. We're going to pray. We're going to fast. We're going to memorize short scripture every week. We're going to listen to and worship together the same songs. And then finally, uh, we'll be leading you through devotion the next three weeks. So that way, when we get to September 12th, and we're going to dedicate that entire weekend to worship through song and through ministry and through prayer, our hearts will have been prepared. Our tabernacle will have been built. And we're going to invite the presence of God to be with us, to go with us, and to lead us this entire next year because we need him desperately. And if he's not in it, I want nothing to do with it. So would you invite the presence of God to be in what you're doing and what we're doing together as a church? So again, invite, get our app, take part with us, extremely simple, and we'll be sharing this information all throughout the week. Let's uh, bow your heads and pray. We're going we're gonna to close in song. And as we sing these songs, remember this message because we're going to be declaring the truth of some of the things we just talked about. So, church, it might look like we are surrounded, and not only does it look like that, but we actually are. But despite the fact that we are surrounded by so many enemies, we're surrounded by God. And if God is for us, who can be against and though the enemy is fashioning all sorts of weapons to prosper against us, no weapon formed against us, against us will prosper. And though it looks like we're suffering in the flesh or in the world, we, we are, but somehow God's using that for his purpose, and somehow as believers, God's using that for his good. And my prayer for each of you today is that God would open your eyes to be able to see beyond what you see. And the most important thing you could see is that God loves you. God sent his son Jesus to live a life without sin that you could not live. That his son Jesus Christ gave his life, died on the cross, taking all the punishment for our sin. Taking all the wrath of his father for our sin for the sins of the world on himself. Scripture says Jesus died for the sins of the entire world. And by the power of God, the Holy Spirit, the Father raised the Son from the dead. And when Jesus rose from the grave, he defeated Satan, sin, hell, and death. 
And so through Jesus, we each have access to forgiveness of sins, a relationship with God, the power and presence of his spirit being within us, as we've talked about several times today, and even everlasting life with him, because our life never truly ends. We all live forever, but we have an opportunity to live forever with God through Christ. So I would encourage you today, put your faith in Jesus. The Bible says you don't earn your salvation through religion or works or church attendance. You receive a free gift of salvation. It's grace. We don't deserve it, but God freely gives it. We just simply receive it by trusting in him. So turn from all your ways and turn towards the ways of God and say, Jesus, I trust you to be the savior of my life. And I choose to surrender my life to you. So God, I pray that as we sing and as we pray now, that those who do not know you would have their eyes open to you to trust in you. And Lord, I pray that those who feel as though they're surrounded or those who are surrounded would have their eyes open to see you actually encamped around them. Holy Spirit, we invite your presence into our hearts this year. We know you're here, but we, we want your tangible presence to be welcome in our homes, our hearts, and our church. We invite you um, to do whatever you will. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you guys stand?